0: hi isaac
1: hi summer ann
0: how are you doing
1: i'm feeling really <laughs> really solid actually it's been like a good month spring is here it is
0: spring yeah it feels i'm like so, so
1: stoked you are like wearing a rainbow sundress and i'm loving it <sighs> i chopped off all my hair like yeah. i'm feeling good
0: my name is summer ann burton
1: and my name is Isaac Fitzgerald.
0: And this is our podcast. It's called The Tell Show, and it's about storytelling and oversharing. Um, and in keeping with that, on this episode, we're going to talk about bodies.
1: And all the messy, messy, mushy. Ooh, mushy.
0: Well, I'm very excited to talk about bodies. We also have an amazing guest, um, Lorelai Lee, who's a writer and an adult film actress. She's also a director and an activist. She's going to join us in a little bit, and we're very excited. Uh, But before she comes on, Isaac, like, you have a body.
1: I, I do. I do. I do. This is one of those topics. Like, I've talked about this in the past, uh, and kind of the issues that I've had with my body. So, one of the things I wanted to talk about on this show is when I feel most comfortable, actually. Oh. And for me, that is when I'm skateboarding. And this has been true. I think it's one of the original things that drew me to it. But ever since I was even a teenager, when I was on a skateboard, and I was, I was kind of even a bigger teenager. It just took the weight away, like just rolling on this board, mm-hmm. like made me just feel so much more comfortable. But, like, even when I'm falling, even when I'm failing at skateboarding, even just the other day, I bit it really hard. And I just, like, hit the ground and rolled. uh, And and a kid, like, a a dad and a kid were walking by. And the kid was looking at me. And the dad actually said something along the lines of, that's why you shouldn't skateboard. That's why you can't skateboard. (laughs) And I actually, to me, it was so important that I pop up and jump back on the board (laughs) and just keep going. And, like, to kind of show this kid, hey, this is actually why you should totally do it because it's fun. But that's where I feel comfortable. So what about you and bodies? You also. Have a body
0: I do have a body I do Unfortunately Um, I don't know I know I know But I was thinking about What I like about my body And it's funny Like I There are certain things But one of my favorite things Is like The scars that I have and my favorite scar that I have, I thought I would tell you the story about it. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I have a scar on my side and it's from when I was 14. My first job, I worked at a horse stable.
1: Were you in a castle?
0: No, I just, I, <laughs> I was into horseback riding and okay. lessons are really expensive.
1: And you were in Texas.
0: I was in Texas. Yeah. And you could, I could, I worked to pay off the lessons. Like I basically worked in exchange for being able to ride and one day I was at work, I was, like I said, I was 14 and I was at work and I was, in a, uh, I was in a stall with a horse and it was kind of an aggressive, this horse had like some aggression issues. And I was just moving like from one end of the stall to the other. And he reached around and just bit the side of my body. Holy shit. <laughs> and like people don't realize horses, but like they don't have sharp teeth, but they have like very strong teeth. Mouths, so he just like clamped down on my on like my my fourteen year old love handles, and the the reason why I like the scar so much is because I'm really proud of myself for how I handled the situation. Like I just I didn't feel anger, and I walked away, and I closed the door, and I like put the thing that I was holding, like the hose I had, like away, and like walked the like half mile to the office and called my mom and was like i think you should probably come get me and like i just i don't know like it's a scar of this like random thing that happened but it also always reminds me of like my best self
1: Our guest is Lorelai Lee, an adult film writer, actress, director, and activist. Lorelai, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank
0: you. I'm excited to be here.
1: So we like to warm up with a game of Never Have I Ever.
0: The best game in the world.
1: Summer, you want to explain the rules?
0: I do. I love explaining the rules. So each of us will say something that we've never done. And if you have done it, you will ring your bell. Like, yay, bell. And then we'll talk about it. Isaac, are you going to kick us off?
1: Yeah, I can start. I can start. I'm like shameful to admit this because it's like prudish. Uh, Get it out. (laughs) 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 Too much disclaimer. It's just, I feel like, uh, anyways. All right. Um, Never have I ever sent or received any kind of like hot photo. What? (laughs) (laughs) Like never a dick pic. Never. Yeah, no, no. I know. I know. I know.
2: I've received way too many. <laughs> <laughs> so many. So many dick pics.
0: So many. I told uh, you I'm embarrassed. Like I'm like
1: I'm really red. Like I feel like I a modern man are should do this. I'm
0: surprised. I'm a fan of sexy pictures. I I don't know. I talk to me. I have a lot of issues about my body and like I I feel Better about it when I'm like sending sexy pictures than I do like in a real life sexual situation. Cause wow. it's like you have, I feel like I have like full control.
2: Awesome. I mean, that <sighs> is some film theory right there. That is some
0: <laughs> serious.
2: Third wave feminism explanation yeah. for porn, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yes, I have also, you know, been paid to send many sexy pictures. I don't think that counts in this conversation, mm-hmm. right? But uh, and received many unsolicited dick pics, <laughs> like every day, a hundred. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I <laughs> just like
1: a hundred you know, dicks. Yeah,
2: and it's like you know I do look at dicks professionally, mm-hmm. so I don't understand what compels people to think like. And she needs to see mine. But um, yeah, I have also, you know, personally sent some, some sexy photos and received some sexy photos and accidentally taken sexy photos and uploaded them to like Flickr.
1: I do feel like that. I think that's part of my like hesitation is like it's a crazy world out there.
0: But at the same time, like I feel like a the trust that you put in someone when you sex with them is kind of hot. Mm. and B that like I am now so progressive in my like views on this stuff that it would be so much worse for them and their reputation than it would be for me. All right. Anyway,
1: you want to go next?
0: Never have I ever borrowed a significant amount of money from a friend or lover. Huh? No, no,
1: I don't think I have,
0: man. I really so responsible in this room.
1: (laughs) I yeah. really. I'm
0: surprised. I thought I was like special, but now I feel like an asshole.
1: And I feel like just we're taught from such an early age not to mix friends and money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. I, I, almost... I
0: have loaned money to friends and yeah. boyfriends. So have I. On multiple occasions. Many times.
1: Uh, all right. <laughs> Your turn.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. I have a disclaimer
2: too, because this is like really scandalous for me to admit, which Ooh. is that uh, never have I ever watched porn to masturbate. Oh. What? I know. I know. It's like a professional failing. I, I
0: know. I know. Okay. It's I like, just, it's not that surprising to me. I feel like if you work in an ice cream store, you get tired of ice cream.
2: Mostly when I watch porn, I'm in a room full of people like in office. People mm-hmm. are like eating their lunch next to me and it's totally not a sexy time. Yeah. <laughs> um, And I started making porn when I was 19 and then I was already in porn the first time i watched it and it is kind of like that thing you're saying where i'm like you know i i see something and i'm like oh that's nadia i should call her you know I don't, <laughs> but i don't yeah i mean i've tried as you like <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried watching like anime oh, you know because yeah. that's pretty removed uh-huh. from um my experience <laughs> and it's hot yeah but I, I always just get into like critiquing it and thinking like, oh, I should make something like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I never, I don't know.
1: So we, uh, we've had you here. We've got our little uh, Never Have I Ever's out of the way. Yeah. Um, and we're here to have you uh, tell a story.
2: So I mean, you know, when you guys invited me here, I was told it was a show for overshares, which I really yes. am one <laughs> already, completely. And I was thinking about how I don't have any secrets, and then I sort of realized, you know, I uh, am naked on the internet everywhere, every way, every position, angle you can imagine, right? But there are these things that are secret about my body mm-hmm. um, that I thought I would reveal. Um, one is that I have had a hysterectomy and the other is that I have had Botox. Mm. (laughs) So these sound Mm. really different, but, um, they were both really huge choices for me in my life. And a big part of that is growing up with really specific ideas about what it means to be the right kind of woman, what it means to be, uh, feminist, a member of the sisterhood, you know, all of these ideas. um, I was raised by a really hardcore, radical second wave feminist. She didn't buy me dresses when I was little. There was no makeup in our house. There was no hairspray. There was short haircuts and overalls and running in the mud. Um, But a huge part of that ideology was that dresses and high heels and makeup are tools that hold women down. And I really believed that, you know, I grew up with feminism the way people grew up with religion. And, and so I, I consciously made these choices to break away from my mom's ideology. But I every time it was sort of this question that I would ask myself, I mean, besides the fact that I was also, you know, answering ads and posing naked for money, and all of that goes totally in opposition to the idea, my mom's idea of being a good feminist. And so, I mean, Botox, of course, can be thought of as an extension of those choices. Mm -hmm. I got Botox when I was 32 uh, for the first time. And most of the women that I work with had been getting it since their late 20s. So I was like late to the game. And I had had recommendations from different friends and they were like, it's no big deal, you're just going to do it maybe you'll have a bruise and I was, walk- I was in San Francisco and I was walking up the Powell Street cable car turnaround, you guys know um, <laughs> and there's all these people around and you know that feeling when there's all these people around and everybody's going to do something and you're like, nobody knows what I'm going to do it's such a
0: a crazy feeling.
2: Yeah. And I am going into this office building and I'm taking the elevator and I also am thinking about who this doctor is and what does, who does he think I am? And I was thinking, is this okay? You know, I want to live in a world where women are allowed to look all different ways and where women with wrinkles are also thought of as sexy by the culture at large, not just by me or, you know, individuals. And I want to create imagery that encourages that, but also I want to keep paying my rent. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to navigate those two ideas. But then the other piece of it is that so many of the women that I work with and the women that I look up to who are my female role models are trans women who have had all kinds of surgeries and cosmetic procedures I was in the makeup room the other day, and Foxy was like, I look as good as I can and as good as I can afford. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, girl, you're fucking beautiful. And that's awesome. And I think that in an ideal world, we would be allowed to choose we would be allowed to be like, I'm going to be a lady with wrinkles today and tomorrow I'm going to have Botox and then the next day I'm going to have wrinkles again.
1: So you're in the office, you're having all these thoughts. What is it like to get the... I mean, if if I'm being 100% honest, I don't even really know what Botox is.
2: Okay. So <laughs> it is botulism toxin that is injected into your muscles and paralyzes them. It's like poison that you put in your muscles and it freezes them for three to six months.
1: Okay. Do you get like Novocaine? Like you get no. Free- no-, mm.
2: no, nothing like that. It's just needles in your face. Uh, and then it's 10 days before your muscles totally freeze. And then you wake up in the morning and your husband says, are you going to cry right now? Because no one knows how you feel. That's Mm. actually the one way that people maybe have noticed is that they misinterpret my feelings. And I'm a pretty facially expressive person. Mm -hmm. So
0: that has been funny. I'm fascinated by this. I feel like I have said this maybe to you before, but I kind of wish I had gotten plastic surgery, like gotten a boob job when I was like 18. And one of the reasons why I can say I kind of wish I had but wouldn't now is because of like the age that I am now and the feeling that everyone in my life would know that I had done it and that would be what was embarrassing about it.
2: That's the thing where I think, yes, I should get Botox, you know, like, no, because I really feel like this is important that we make so many decisions based on what we think other people's expectations of us are. And in my ideal world, like you would, you would just choose Mm -hmm. on a day to day basis, like what you're going to, how you're going to construct yourself. Like People, um, my, this is the thing I was trying to say about my mom is that she really believed in the supremacy of the natural, right? Like the Mm -hmm. idea that somehow everything you do is supposed to be as natural as possible. Mm -hmm. And I just really believe in the opposite, like the beauty and the artifice. And I thought that my mom would be really upset by it. I didn't tell her for a long time.
1: But, and this, I mean, your mother obviously knows all sorts of other things about your life, but this is this one thing that you weren't willing to discuss with her.
2: It was two years before I told her. Wow. Yeah.
1: And how was, can I ask what the reaction was?
2: She was like, oh, I want to get my eyelids done. And I was like, <laughs> who are you? Like, what happened? You know, but that's always, no, you have to know my mother. That's always her reaction. When I started dating women, she was like, I tried that once.
1: So was your decision to get a hysterectomy, was it just you didn't want kids?
2: No, definitely not for birth control. It was because I was having a lot of physical pain. Uh, how, how?
0: So women get their periods. Excellent. And <laughs> some women, let's say some, some women, women get their periods. Okay. And yeah. when some women, when they get their periods, it really hurts.
2: Yeah. And I think for lots of women, it hurts a little bit. And for some women, it is just extremely agonizingly painful. And that is my experience uh, that I was curled up in the fetal position on the floor of my room crying um, for three days a month. And I had been offered at various free clinics, um, birth control pills, um, or strong, strong painkillers, That would equally make me lose those days. Then they offered me, when I got health insurance, they offered me chemically induced menopause. But that would be something where I would have to take medication for the rest of my life. And I was really thinking, someday I'm not going to have health insurance again. And so I was like, I want the least necessary medical interaction in the future. And so, so I said, do it. Take it out. And the day before the surgery, I was shooting, um, and I was doing a medical fetish scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, and I was like wearing a lab coat and an old-fashioned oh, no. nurse's hat because that in porn means doctor. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, just leaning over this gynecological chair, and there was another girl in the chair, and I was like. This is really surreal. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the next day when I was in, like, going in for the surgery, I was, like, lying on the gurney. (laughs) And the two surgeons were, like, these young, beautiful women. And I was like, what? (sighs) What? What is happening right now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And terrifying
1: <laughs> but wait so what so what happens Did, so um they it, and also do they put you under for this one yeah Thank <laughs> fucking God, man. i'm just over here being like holy I think shit about to, i think about to pass
0: out i am I'm
1: like, it's yeah. so hard to be a woman jesus christ okay okay so they do put it's you under for this one it's hard to be
2: a person with a body i think true yeah they put me under And there are different kinds of hysterectomies. You can have your ovaries removed. You can have your cervix removed. I kept my ovaries and my cervix, and I just had my uterus removed. So the place where the babies grow, Mm -hmm. don't got one. There's two ways they can do it. Laparoscopically means that they put tiny, tiny holes and put instruments in through those tiny holes and pull everything out in ribbons. Or, if it's not working in the middle of the surgery, they might have to do a big incision, an abdominal incision that looks like the same kind of scar you get if you have a C-section. And I was really hoping not to have to do it that way. Luckily, they were able to do the procedure with just the little tiny holes, and they made a video of All of it. Like, and they sent me photos of my cut up uterus. Yeah. What is the deal with surgery videos? That's a really common thing. People want to know what's inside them. I guess so. And they take all of that stuff, all that tissue, and they test it for cancer. And they, Mm. you know, there's a, they, I think that they maybe use these photos also for a medical purpose. Mm
0: -hmm. But then she was just like, do you want to know what it looks like? (laughs) So you had this horrible crippling pain <laughs> once a month before your surgery what was it like after the surgery did it go away did you feel like a different yeah. person
2: <laughs> for me it was a very difficult recovery but since then i've had no pain it's wow. like i never had a period or a uterus and it's crazy and
1: how did you feel making that decision when i mean again you're talking about botox even which is much less permanent and you yeah. were kind of having wrestling with these these feelings
2: yeah but getting a hysterectomy was much easier was a much easier choice for me to make because a hysterectomy is just a responsibility to myself. And getting Botox felt like a responsibility to the larger world in a really different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up thinking like someday I'm going to make a baby inside my body. But that now seems such a foreign idea to me and really not... And, and, you know, there's so many, so many kids out there. Like if I really, if I want to have children, there's lots of other ways to do that.
1: So that idea of like the fertile mother is like less of what you link with, with the femininity.
2: Well, yes and no. It's still in there. It's like my mom was Catholic, right? She went to Catholic school and she has not been Catholic for 30 years, but she'll still say the Lord's Prayer when she's stressed out. And I still, you know, I still think about that image of the divine mother. You know, my mom used to say, women can make life inside their bodies. And that's why men are scared of us. And I took that shit to heart, mm-hmm. but it's. But then I think about how fucked up that is. Mm-hmm. Just like my mom, you know, decided that the teachings of the Catholic Church were pretty fucked up. Like a lot of the second wave feminist ideas that I grew up with are really fucked up and limiting, mm-hmm. and really exclude so many women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know all of that, but
0: deep and it's still deep, in there. Yeah. yeah, I liked your analogy about how you grew up with feminism the way that a lot of people grow up with religion. Um like I think that there are certain belief systems that you grow up with that are just they're always going to be a part of you and no matter how much like you know mentally it's just there's something deep yeah
2: I used to work in a dungeon I was working as a professional dominatrix and uh, one rule that we had at the dungeon was that we would never say that the mistresses were out sick. They were otherwise engaged, they were very busy, they had a lot of clients to see, but they were never sick and that is because, you know, we had to project this image uh, of infallibility
1: Kind of the separation of like the actual body and the fantasy.
2: Definitely. So much of the image that I cultivate, the professional image that I cultivate is of perfection. I mean, of the ideal, fictional, fantastic, supreme gendered being, right? Like <laughs> that is, um, that's what we try to be. What has been so rewarding to me about my career is actually being behind that curtain and being in that room, being in the makeup room, being on set with so many different kinds of women. And we know that it's someone has their period that day or that they had surgery a few months ago or that they had a fight with their boyfriend or whatever. And to me, that's the fantasy sisterhood that my mom taught me about, right? But it is so different than what she imagined
0: thank you so much for telling that story i really appreciate it when we in the show we always like to ask our guests three questions and the first one is what was your last kiss like
2: My last kiss was uh, with my husband before I came here. (laughs) 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 Oh, I'm so boring, but I am fucking in love.
0: How long have y'all been married? Since
2: 2011. Five, almost five Five, years. years. Wow, it's going to be five years. Yeah.
1: The next question we ask is, when was the last time you cried?
2: Uh, I cry a lot. Oh, God. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) It was watching Harry Potter. Aww. Oh.
0: no. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no wait. Which tell-
2: one? Um, I the month of February, I did like four shoots a week. I, I worked crazy hours. So I came home the first week of March and took the whole week off and watched all the Harry Potter <laughs> movies. That's nice. For the first time? For the first time in my life. Nice. Yes. Welcome. Twenty hours of Welcome. film. But I cried a lot.
1: Did you love did you like are I you really?
2: In- I was like, where's my wizarding school? Which house do you think you're in? Are you <sighs> I mean, I'm sort of feeling Ravenclaw. Mm. I like that. I can see that. For sure. You're like this like yeah. little that the rebels are over there.
0: Okay, so the last question um is just up to your interpretation. And it is, what is wrong with you? Oh God. Oh. <laughs> Come
2: on. <laughs> uh what is wrong with me? I really need a pedicure.
0: There, that's a great answer. Okay, thanks great yeah. answer. Yeah. Well, Lorelai, this has been amazing. Um Lorelai Lee is a writer, actress, director, and activist. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank, Thank you. So much for
2: Thanks
1: coming.
0: for
2: having me.
1: Next time on the Tell Show, we're going to talk about food.
0: So, we sent producer Julia Furlon out onto the street to ask people about the best meal that they've ever had. I'm asking people on the street, what is the best meal you've ever eaten, ever?
1: Uh, The best meal that I've ever eaten was corned beef and rice made by mom, and it it tastes so good that I'm 37 talking about it now, so it it must have meant something.
0: Okay, so the best meal I've ever
2: eaten was in the markets in Japan. I was uh, walking around the streets and I was starving and my entire life I refused to eat seafood. And the only thing available was sushi bars. <laughs> so I sat down in a tiny little bar, and I took one bite, and I have never stopped eating sushi ever since. It was the most delicious thing on this planet, and I don't know if it was because I was starving, because I've tried many, many sushis ever since then, and it was just the most amazing sushi. So. I can never stop eating sushi.
1: <laughs> One of the most memorable ones was right after my grandfather died. I went and I had a, a bagel with, um, with smoked fish at Russ and Daughters. It was sort of my tribute to him. I was eating it alone and then a friend came in and stopped by and it was an important moment to be able to share some of those memories and to think about everything that family heritage and food means. The Tell
0: Show is produced by the wonderful Meg Kramer.
1: With editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss Berman.
0: And production help from Julia Furlon and Eleanor
1: Kagan. Thanks so much to Paul Ruwest at Argo Studios for recording the show.
0: And thanks so much to Love Inks, one of my favorite bands from Austin, Texas, who composed our music.
1: You can always email us at thetelshow at buzzfeed.com.
0: And we will be back with another episode next week.